Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. Good afternoon, everyone. How are we doing? It's great to be with you this afternoon. Today we're in week four of our Summer of Love series, looking at the letter of one John. Uh, John, if you recall, if you were here in the first week, uh, was one of Jesus' disciples and one of his closest friends. Uh, He was an eyewitness to Jesus' life and miracles and teachings. And as a consequence of all that he experienced, that led him to write the Gospel of John and the one, two, and three John letters. One John in particular is, is interesting because there's no formal greeting and there's no reference to anyone specific throughout the letter. Uh, which you might think is quite strange when you're writing a letter. But the point of this is that this was to be a circular letter. It was to be sent round to different places. And in this instance, it was to go to churches in towns like Smyrna, Pergamum, Theatira, Sardis, Laodicea. On the screen, you'll see a map of where those churches were located in the western parts of Asia Minor at the time. All was not well with these churches. And we saw that through some of the verses in chapter two that were read last week, and I'll read them again now. In 1 John 2, 19, it says, they went out for us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. Who is John talking about? He's talking about people who had left these churches. And what's more, they were trying to lead others astray with false teachings, and we see that in 1 John 2, 26. Now, you've got early churches here grappling, what does it mean to live a life of faith? Uh, Really deciding what is the, the real truth about Jesus in their lives. And then into that mix, you have friends, possibly colleagues or other people in the church who have left and have now come back and are telling them false truths about Jesus. You can imagine their confusion. You can imagine them asking questions about do I really believe in the real God? Am I really living an authentic Christian life? And it's into that context that John writes. And he writes with a purpose. He is seeking to weed out the lies and the deceit and really clarify what is important for these churches to remember. What are the key truths in living an authentic Christian life that we need to know? And that's so important today when we come to our passage to keep that in mind. And I'll explain later. But if you have your Bible, will you turn to 1 John chapter 3? And I'm going to be reading from verses 11 to 24. Uh, The words will also come up on the screen. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, 
How can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him everything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. When reading this passage, uh, what particularly struck me was the number of times that John makes mentions to key truths that readers, his audience, need to know. I don't know how many of those you spotted, uh, but four times in this passage, he calls out things that they should know. Verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life. Verse 16, we know what love is. Verse 18, we know that we belong to the truth. And verse 24, we know that he lives in us. So we're going to look at each of those briefly today and really understand why is John highlighting these truths above anything else? And as we do, though, we're going to find out that knowledge of these truths is not enough. Actually, it is the outworking of these truths in our lives that is the key point which John emphasizes. And there are associated actions that he lays out in this passage with each of these truths, which we'll get into. So it's really important that us as a West End community, uh, a new community, much like the, the churches that John is writing to, that we take this on board and we listen and we think, you know, what can I do? What can I learn from this passage? But before I jump into the first of those key truths, I want to tell you a story uh, of what happened to me um, just over a week ago. Um, I'm an accountant, for those who don't know, and I was working on this large project, and it was just before the bank holiday. Um, fair to say, things had not gone well. Uh, there were a lot of problems. We were running behind schedule, uh, and we weren't really going to make the deadline. So the partner who was a senior member of the firm that I work for, came into the room. There's a team of 10 of us working, and he broke the bad news that the team are going to have to work the bank holiday if we're going to meet the deadline. Obviously disappointing. Nobody wants to do that. Uh, but these things happen. And if any of you have got very senior bosses, when things like that get asked, there are no ifs, no buts, no maybes. It gets done, and it gets done pretty quick. So I was tasked with helping facilitate the discussion across the team, who was going to do what and who was best placed to complete the different work streams. We're going uh, through the different members of the team, and it was at this point that one of the, the more junior members of the team decided to buck the trend in a way that I have never seen in my seven years of working with the firm that I work for. Uh, in asking them to do some work over the bank holiday, they flat out refused direct to the partner, saying they see no reason why they should, why they should waste their bank holiday, uh, that they were too junior to be doing this work, and then proceeded, believe it or not, to uh, suggest that the more senior members of the team were paid more and therefore should be doing their work and not them. <laughs> I could not believe it. As you can imagine, a room of 10 people went silent. 
um, never having seen this before. Uh, and I had a problem because I was trying to facilitate this discussion, get it going so everybody could, could get home on the Friday. Um, and I couldn't think of anything to say. Um, what was worse and what got more awkward was the partner and the student member decided to discuss the merits of each other's arguments um, as to who was right and who was wrong. And I won't go into the details, um, but it got more awkward, more awkward, more awkward. And I don't know about you, but when you face difficult situations, you find you do the strangest things to cope with it. We're all sitting at our desk with our laptops in front of us, uh, you know, and I'm nodding along because I'm thinking, yeah, I'm trying to get this discussion going. So I understand your point. Yeah, and that's good. Oh, wouldn't have gone there. Um, <laughs> but it gets more awkward and I've got nothing to say. So I start, you know, going, yeah, 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 understand, understand. At which point, obviously, the really awkward bit gets dropped and the hand goes over the face like this. And so I'm sitting in a room like this going, yeah, this is really helpful. Ground, please swallow me up anywhere but here. Um, and for some reason, at this point, I decided, do you know what? This is not enough. This is so awkward that I just need to disappear completely. So I'm going to start sliding back in my chair. Yeah, keep going, keep going. And yet now the laptop covers me and nobody can see me. This is so much better. Uh, obviously, this is very stupid in hindsight, as you can probably tell. But at the time, this felt the really sensible thing to do. And the funny thing was that I looked around the room and actually, yeah, eight other people were doing the exact same thing uh, as we all just did not know how to deal with the situation. Thankfully, we moved on. We all popped up and we carried on. <laughs> the point of this is, when we have difficult, uncomfortable situations to deal with, uh, we do everything in our power to run away, to hide and not deal with it. I did not want any part of that situation. We get difficult passages in the Bible to deal with. And we start today with a difficult section in this passage. John is talking about the subject of murder. And we may think, well, that's got nothing to do with us. But he is quite challenging in the, in the verses that uh, he writes. Let me read them to you. Verse 12, do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Okay, we should not murder, I get that. But it's not quite that simple. Verse 15, John goes on to say, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Now this is a problem. John raises the standard of living. It's not just the act, but it's the motive behind it. And remember who he's writing to. He's writing to all the churches. So he's saying, any one of you who reads that, any one of us today who is reading this passage, if you hate your brother, you are a murderer. Surely that's nothing to do with us at all. Well, maybe let me ask the question a different way. Have you ever been angry? Have you ever been angry at someone so much because they've wronged you that you've, you've had resentment? in your heart, or it's been difficult to forgive, that you want to do anything but deal with that person. If we're being honest, how many of us would put our hand up and say, yeah, that's, I've been in that situation, I know I have. Are we so far away from what John is talking about here in verse 15? Jesus talked about this in Matthew 5. He said this, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. 
But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Anger and hatred here are equated to murder. Again, Jesus takes that, the, old, um, the commandment in the Old Testament, do not murder. He raises the standard of living and highlights that it is the action is a consequence of what is in our heart. And that's what John is echoing here. What is in our hearts? And the problem is, if we don't deal with that, there can be greater problems, greater sin down the line. And that's where the story of Cain and Abel comes in. And that's why John mentions it here, starting in verse 12. It's an unusual example. You may not know the story of Cain and Abel. It's only mentioned three times in the Bible. The story itself is in Genesis 4. We have mentioned here and in Hebrews 11. But for those who don't know, Cain and Abel were brothers. They were the sons of Adam and Eve. Uh, and you, when you read the passage in Genesis, you think, okay, these are two very similar people. They both worked in the fields. Abel was shepherd. Cain worked in agriculture. Uh, and they both seemed like men of faith um, who were, who, sorry, both seen like men of faith who would bring their offerings to God. Genesis 4, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Abel brought forth fat portions from some of the firstborn of the flock, his flock. This was the act of worship. They seemed to be doing the right things. Do you notice something a little bit different between Cain and Abel, though? Where Cain brought some of the fruits, Abel brought some of the firstborn of his flock. And that is vitally important. Because, you see, in the Old Testament, an offering was to take your first and best and give it to God to acknowledge that he is the provider and everything we have comes from him. It's an act of thankfulness. Cain wasn't doing that. In Genesis 4, we see the, the repercussion of that. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain on his offering, he did not look on favor. Hebrews 11 puts it a different way. Abel, by faith, gave a better offering and was a righteous man. Ergo, Cain was not. And actually, as a result, Cain gets jealous and angry towards his brother, his jealousy and his anger start stirring in his heart and he doesn't deal with it. And God confronts him head on. Genesis 4, verses 6 to 9. The Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? Why is your face so downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. And we know from the start of this passage that Cain does not master it. And in fact, he leads his brother into a field and he kills him. Actually, the, the, the original translation of the word is he butchers him. So much hatred and anger had stirred in his heart that he couldn't control it, despite God's warning. And now, this is always very heavy, and I, I appreciate that. But John is trying to shock us as his readers. Are we that dissimilar from Cain? Are we dealing with anger in our hearts? Can I ask you, how is your heart today? Is there anyone here that you're holding a grudge against that you haven't dealt with? Or maybe someone you need to ask forgiveness for or to forgive? We must not be a community of people who holds grudges, anger, ill in our hearts. We're to be a community of love and forgiveness. 
as God puts it, sin is crouching out of doors. We must master it and not let it take over our hearts. So if Cain shows us what a life without love leads to, John reminds us that we are nothing like that. Verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life. It's the first key truth, because we love our brothers. And there's the action. John uses the comparison of death to life to exemplify the change in our lives when we come to faith in Jesus. We're not called to live in jealousy, anger, hate. We're not called to live the life of Cain. No, we're called to something different. We're called to love one another. Brothers here is talking about others in the church. And in that context, the story of Cain and Abel takes on another aspect because, you see, the Bible says that when we come to faith in Jesus, we're given a new identity and we're adopted into God's family. We are sons and daughters of God. That means that you and I are brothers and sisters. I can't put it better than to say that we're family. Um, whether you like it or not, that means you're stuck with me. <laughs> and I'm sorry for those of whom that's not the best news you've heard today, but it's true. So if we're family, what does it mean to love one another? John Stott brilliantly puts it like this. The authentic followers of Jesus Christ who have passed from death to life hunger for Christian fellowship. They do not give up meeting together, but delight to worship and pray together and to talk together on spiritual topics while their personal relationships with each other are marked by unselfish and caring love. It's so important that we gather to here regularly as a West End community. Sundays are so important. They should be a priority for us in our lives because in that context, we can come and love one another. We can pray together, worship together. It's for the benefit of ourselves, our own edification, but also gives us the opportunity to love and bless others. If Sundays are not a priority to you, can I ask you to rethink that, please? If you're not here, then we are missing out on the blessing that you can give. We're going to get into some more specific, practical actions later. Um, but suffice to say that at this point, is this not the type of community that we want to be? A community that loves and cares for one another above ourselves. So key truth too, we know what love is. So John moves on from Cain Abel. In verse 16, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. John can state confidently that there's no greater example of love because he was with Jesus at the Last Supper. In John 15, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends, acknowledging what he is about to do. And if you were to ask me, why do I think Jesus' death on the cross is the greatest example of love? Well, for me, I just think that this is God. God who made the heavens and the earth, who made man in his image, who breathed life into each one of us. He humbled himself. He came as a man. He lived amongst us. And he lived a perfect life, completely innocent. He went to the cross for you and for me to deal with the things we get wrong in our lives, to deal with our anger and hatred that we've seen. That is love. That is love. I do not deserve what Jesus did for me, but I am so thankful. I am so thankful. But that's not 
all that John is highlighting. See, John is also directly contrasting the story of Cain and Abel that we've just looked at with the life of Jesus. And when you look at the two, you notice some similarities and you also notice the stark differences. Just running very quickly through these, uh, you'll see them on the screens behind me. If Cain is a supreme example of hate, then Jesus is the complete opposite. He's a supreme example of love. Where Cain was jealous of his brother's righteousness, so when we look at the, the trial of Jesus, we notice that the chief priests and elders were jealous of all that he had done, all of his signs, miracles, teachings, his claims to be God, so much so that they plotted to kill him. We've touched on that Jesus was innocent. Jesus was also hated by those who wanted to put him to, de to death. The baying crowd at his trial, just like Abel was hated by his brother. And as Abel sacrificed the firstborn of his flock, so Jesus sacrificed himself, the first and only sacrifice that we will ever need for all of our sins that has brought us close and into this relationship with God. John uses the example of Cain to shock us into realizing that we do not want that life. We want to follow the life of Jesus. And that brought, is brought to fruition in the action that he suggests that we need to take. For in the face of all that Jesus has done for us, we're then called to lay down our lives for our brothers in verse 16. We're to follow his example and put others ahead of ourselves. If I can put it in these terms, we need to put to death our own ambitions, desires, prides, my wants, and think to others before me. See, why would we choose to follow Cain's example when we know how that story ends that story of his own pride his own jealousy why would we do that or if we if we say we follow Jesus but then act like Cain how inappropriate is that again we know where that ends it is not good Jesus example requires a response of you and me are there areas where you are putting your needs ahead of others is how you interact with the lives of others, does it reflect more of Cain than Jesus? These are not straightforward questions. They will need some thought and prayer. But as I continue to talk and as we worship later, can I encourage you to invite the Holy Spirit into your hearts? Just say, are there areas in your life that need changing? So the third key truth. We know that we belong to the truth. Verses 17 to 18. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth. There's a deliberate shift in emphasis Whereas the first two truths and actions were about brothers as a whole, more corporate, this is very specific. Is we're to look for the brother in need. Who are the individuals in our lives that we can help, that we can love, that we can support and encourage? See, John living with Jesus knew that Jesus' self-sacrifice for us all was not his only demonstration of love. You only need to read the Gospels to know that Jesus demonstrated his love uh, through his care of the poor, the needy, 
the desperate, those whose society had cast out, considered unlovable. Jesus went out of his way to be with those people. He made a choice. And that's something that's so important for us to grasp. We have a role to play and a choice to make ourselves. Can we as a West End community say that about ourselves? That we're living as Jesus exemplified. This is a relatively new service. Um, lots of new people coming along. Lots of people travel in from great distances to be here and it's wonderful to see. Uh, the challenge with that I think is that it's very easy for us to come and go and not really take the time to get to know one another. Often priorities in our lives catch up and we're more focused on getting in, getting out, going to church, that's great, uh, but not really interacting with the people who come. I know that I've personally fallen into that trap. I get so focused on what I need to do on Monday, what I need to do on Tuesday, that actually that alongside with getting production set up, it's very easy to be doing lots of things and I miss the point of interacting, loving, and getting to know who comes. And it's something I'm trying to work on and get better at. I'm not there yet. I've got lots to learn. I've been challenged by the material that I'm preaching this afternoon. Um, but can I challenge you as well? Are there people here that you can get to know who you've not before? Can you spend more time here in the West End? It's a brilliant community. It's a great place to do church. And we love having you here. But there's so much more, I think, for each of us to give and to bring, if I'm being honest. C.S. Lewis brilliantly puts it like this, what I'm trying to say. It is easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H than it is to love individual men and women. Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. I'm going to say that again because I think that's so good. Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. Are you a generalist? Do you have the Sunday conversation? Hi, how's it going? And that's it? Or are we loving individuals well? Are we caring about what's going on in their lives? So how do we do it? How can we get better at this? Um, verse 17 talks about seeing the brother in need. So uh, the way I phrase this is, how can we spot the person in need? And then how can we then meet that need. And it's going to be a bit of a whistle-stop tour. These are just some of the things that came to mind. Uh, and as we go through the list pretty quick, you'll spot that these are not revolutionary. These are not the most complicated actions in the world. Actually, they're quite straightforward. You may think they're pretty demeaning, pretty small. The challenge I had when preaching this, I felt from the Holy Spirit, is that we need to be faithful as a service in the little. Faithful in the little with each other. So let's go through these. Are we getting to know one another on a Sunday and in connect groups? We've done a, a whole series recently on serving teams. It's a great place to come and get to know people, get to meet people. You've got to start there. It's obvious. But unless you are meeting new people, unless you are taking the time to get to know them in these different avenues, then we won't have the opportunity to love others. And then when we are doing that, are we being open? Are we sharing what's going on in our lives? I don't know about you, but often when you meet new people, it's very hard to have a, a conversation that's deep and meaningful. It takes time. You've got to speak with them on several occasions. But also, I've personally found that where I've opened up about my life, when I'm perhaps struggling with what's going on, that the other person reciprocates, and that's how I get to know them better. 
Are we asking the right questions? And are we remembering what's being said? Great example of this. Uh, Andy Tugger, I hope he doesn't mind me using him. Um, as you know, is a supporter of Bournemouth Football Club and a big football fan. I'm a supporter of Arsenal and a big football fan. Um, it's very easy for Andy and I to have a conversation, particularly with what's gone on last, in the last week, if you know. Um, and we, we could chat for ages, Andy, couldn't we? Half an hour or so. And we'd have a great time. But if that's all I ever spoke to Andy about, am I not missing the point? If each week I came and all I talked about was football, I'm not saying that's not good. You should have fun with each other. But I'm not asking him, what is going on in his life? How can I serve him? What is he struggling with? Or what's going well? And I can encourage him. Actually, this week, it's been roles reversed because I've been having a pretty tough time with things and Andy's been there encouraging and praying for me and I thank him for it. Are we asking the right questions? And then, importantly, are we remembering what's being said? I don't know about you, I struggle to remember people's names or what they say. And it's a bit awkward if you don't see them for a couple of weeks and you come back and go, oh, hi, how's it going? And, and they told you something very important two weeks that's come and gone and you've missed your opportunity. Again, something to bear in mind, think. I've got into the habit of just noting things down on my phone. That's the only way I do it. And actually, next time I see them, I can come and ask, oh, how has that exam gone? How was that challenge at work? How did that interview go? What can I do to help and support you? Can I pray? And then follow up during the week. Send a text, send, give them a call, send an email. Whatever it is, be involved in other people's lives. So then what can we do to meet that need? And we've touched on some of these already, so I won't go through them all. But make sure that we're there when difficulty arises. There's nothing more encouraging than to know that people have your back and that they are with you when you are struggling. I can vouch for that personally. Here's my favorite, host someone for a meal. If any of you feel particularly drawn to this one, let me know, I've got some dates coming up that I could, uh, could do with filling. No, but, <laughs> no seriously though. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know, whenever I've gone for a meal, I've always been so blessed. I've always had the best time. Um, and the conversation's often got to a deeper level than it does on a Sunday. Uh, I bet you there are people here who have come to London and never been take, asked for a meal around someone's house. Have a think. It's then important that we pray. We have a prayer team here on a Sunday. Are you making the most of that? But are you involving other people in your life so that they can pray for you? This is not an exhaustive list, but it's what came to my mind. Um, and I'm sure each of us should, you know, can think and dwell on, on each of these actions. But what I want to ask is, why don't you maybe pick one or two, just one or two, that perhaps you're not doing or you think you can get involved with, and maybe today try something different and see what happens. If everybody in this room did one or two of these things for the first time, wow, how blessed we will all be. What a place to be on a Sunday. But it's going to need us to be deliberate about this. We can't just nod along and listen to this and then let, it, will, it will come. No, we, we need to change our mindsets. And there was a, a quote I came across from author Rachel Macy Stafford, which I thought summed it up brilliantly. She says this, Today I will choose love. If I mistakenly choose distraction, perfection, criticism, or negativity over love, I will choose love next. 
I will choose love until it becomes my default choice, my gut instinct, my natural reaction. I will choose it until it becomes who I am, who I am. I love this quote because Rachel acknowledges that actually, yeah, we get it wrong. We're not always going to be perfect. We're not always going to get it right. But I'm going to keep trying and trying and trying and put at the forefront the love of others, to serve them ahead of my own self, to follow the example that Jesus has brilliantly given us. And the encouraging thing is that we don't have to do this all in our own strength. The final truth in verses 23 and 24 And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. If you are, if you know Jesus as God in your life, do you know that you have the Holy Spirit living within you? His spirit that he has given you, that's making you more like Jesus every day. It's so important. That's why John calls this out. You need to know that you have the Holy Spirit in your life. But life can be tough and can get you down. And the best way I've always heard this phrase is that we leak. And we need to keep coming back and asking for more and more of God's spirit in our lives. Luke 11, 13 says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? See, this is a promise of God. All we need to do is ask and he will give us his spirit. I've had many times at work where things have been too much, too many jobs in the go, too many deadlines, I'm I'm not doing as well as I should, Uh, a lot of people are going at me and it it drags you down and maybe at at your work you have similar situations and you can relate to this. And you get to points you're like, I just can't deal with this, I really can't. I just feel like my mind's about to blow. And at those times, do you know what I've learned to do? I've learned to go away, get up from my desk, find space away from it, whether it's a a meeting room, a phone booth, the toilet, right, whatever it is, get away from it. And I have just prayed and I've prayed and I've said, God, I need your spirit because I cannot do this. I cannot do this in my own strength. I feel like I'm failing. And do you know what happens every single time I do that? The day doesn't get easier. The stress doesn't disappear. But I know God's peace with me. I know his encouragement, his hand with me. And it's suddenly the day just seems more manageable. All we need to do is ask. And the Holy Spirit will fill us and be with us. And remind us of his amazing love for us. Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit ChristChurchLondon.org.